0: This is an ABC podcast. I think disabled people are sexy and a lot of my friends with disability all agree that non-disabled people don't know what they're missing.
1: We kind of went on a sex marathon and did it for like 24 hours. What?
2: I definitely ended it up with a UTI afterwards. You don't often see people having sex in different ways and getting uh, a bit creative with it. Obviously, orgasms are, like, such a good pain reliever. I've kind of become a poster girl for (laughs) disability and sex and I'm promoting sex toys on my Instagram, which is all very confusing (laughs) for my family.
0: (laughs) If I was doing it now, if I was on a Mm. Tinder now, I'd be like, I'm disabled, I'm proud, get
3: over it. Mm. Sex and the D word. No, not that D word. Because, let's be real, that D-word is not a taboo. People talk about dicks all the time. But, ladies, how often are we balls deep in conversations about disability and sex? Frank conversations about what it's like to love and lust with disability are often considered too wild, too out there, for mere mortals to get their heads around. I'm going to try and say as little as possible in this episode because we're handing the mic over to three people who all know what it's like to be sexual, horny, up for it and, importantly, doing it with disability. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, we need to talk about sex and disability. (laughs) think of a time when you consciously saw a sexy disabled person in an ad campaign and no I did not say inspiring I said sexy or maybe you caught a hot makeout scene with disabled bodies on TV hard to think of because it so rarely happens but around 20% of women in Australia live with disability that's 1 in 5 and guess what they're having sex. Hot sex.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to be here today and so I kind of took effort to dress nicely (laughs) and now it's just wasted. Oh, send me a photo.
3: Three people have shown up to the Ladies We Need to Talk studios who have first-hand or at least first stump experience with sex and disability. I think
0: I'm a bigger fan of your outfits than like Paralympic stuff. Yeah, to be honest, most people are. I'm like, I want a bronze medal
2: and they're like, oh, that's a nice jacket. I'm like...
3: (laughs) This is Robin Lambert, a Paralympic wheelchair sprinter and Instagram fashion icon. Do you
0: wear your bronze medal around for No, no, I I haven't
3: quite gone that far yet.
0: I'd go into cafes and be like, hello, it's me, bronze medalist.
3: (laughs) And no, Robin doesn't wear their bronze medal out and about.
0: (laughs) Well, I have got it tattooed,
2: like, on my arm that I I went, so, you know.
3: Yumi, are we allowed to swear? Meet Madeline Stewart, a comedian whose stand-up shows focus on dating and sex sex with disability but anyway, I'm very excited to talk about sex and all the sexy stuff Archie can we just get you to say a few words especially words that include p sounds Oh okay penis <laughs> <laughs> I don't <know. laughs> um This is Archie no
1: Philanthropy, <laughs> <laughs> philanderer, <laughs> like a pepperoni pie. Oh, pepperoni! Oh, Archie
3: is a disability and gender equity advocate and rainbow-haired powerhouse who juggles multiple jobs. They also have a great vocabulary starting with
1: P: pairs, yep, programs, mm-hmm. pasta.
3: All three of my guests live with disability. All three have sex lives that wax and wane between hot and not, just like everybody else, and we're here to talk about it. Aki, Madeline, Robin, let's dive right in, shall we? Okay, what makes you horny, Robin? Would you like to go first? Oh, jeez, well,
2: wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, lots of things. Bend it like Beckham. No, <laughs> um, no, I think honestly, uh, for me. Um, I like to have a a connection with someone and and Mm to, um, I guess, yeah, have that intellectual uh, side of things. That's what really sort of gets me going, if you will. (laughs) And um, just, you know, feeling like um, you're being loved for and cared for. You know, the Mm -hmm. usual soppy stuff as well. Um, But, you know, for me and my partner, honestly, most of the times it starts with us joking around and having a laugh. So we don't take it too seriously. Aki. I don't
1: think I've ever been asked this question ever in my life. I'm a non-binary person. I'm queer. I'm bisexual, pansexual. I also have <laughs> chronic uh, pelvis pain, vulvodynia, which is if anybody's had sciatica or nerve pain, just, just imagine that, but on your vagina. I also have interstitial cystitis, which is essentially a 24-7 UTI. So... You can imagine it's not easy to, you know, feel horny and get things going when everything is so painful, but I think it's your partner knowing and respecting and understanding where it makes things feel nice and where it doesn't and asking and, and making sure that you feel safe.
3: Mm. Madeline?
0: Oh, Okay, I'm I'm totally with you. I am a I'm a person who gets what I call mut pain, and I feel you. <laughs> nothing like exploring other areas of your body to get you going. Um, and I love what really makes me hot. <laughs> is love and respect mm-hmm. i love being respected i love someone with good morals and values like mm-hmm. i watched that new nicholas cage film the other day and he has this really nice moment with his daughter and i was like fuck i want to shag nicholas cage <laughs> which is something i would never ever <laughs> thought i would say but there you go Nothing like a nice father figure to get you hot.
2: Um <laughs> can't say I've ever heard Nicholas Cage being described as a daddy before. Yeah, we
0: well, I, I'm feeling it.
3: I just want to flag that I do want to ask each of you individually about the best sex you've ever had. Okay. <laughs> So I do want to ask you that, but I'm going to plant that seed so you've got a little bit of time to grow it. Um, can I go back to you, Robin? How does cerebral palsy influence the ways that you have sex with your partner?
2: Yeah. Well, basically uh, cerebral palsy um, is a result of a, a brain brain injury. Um, so that means that there's constantly messages going from your brain to certain muscles telling them to contract uh, so they're, they're quite tight and you, know, you get spasms and things like that. Uh, so – you know, certain positions are <laughs> quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, not th- not that flexible. But also, on, on the on the flip side, um, means my orgasms are c- quite strong <laughs> um, because it's all muscle contractions at the end of the day. Um, so you know, pros and cons, light light and shade. <laughs>
3: Uh, and what about you, Madeline? Does your disability influence the way that you have sex? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, first we have to get the lube, lube up the stump. No, <laughs> <give> me- <laughs>
0: hmm. no, no, I find that, um, I find that I just don't feel very sexy, even though like I have this real. I'm very proud to be a disabled person, but I still struggle in feeling very sexy. Also, as a person who is like. A survivor of assault. I also find sex sometimes really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, we just need to have a laugh and not be mm-hmm. serious about sex. And then yeah. like some days I can do some things. And so other days I'm like, oh, I don't feel comfortable having this kind of sex. Let's do some other kind of sex. Yeah. And sometimes I feel guilty, you know, because I'm like, oh, my partner like deserves better. Mm-hmm. But yeah.
2: And I, and I think sex is one of those things as well that makes you hyper aware of your impairments yeah. and perhaps yeah. your your limitations because yeah you don't often see people having um, sex in different ways and getting I guess a, a bit creative with it so yeah. you become you become hyper aware of those things and you kind of think oh you know my partner could be having better sex with with, and with, people with someone build up else sex but sex
0: to be like one of the most important parts of your relationship yeah exactly yes.
2: exactly and I'm like cerebral palsy skip. is quite a quite an awkward <laughs> disability. You our movements aren't very uh, fluid and graceful and we sort of build sex and femininity, you know, to be this like graceful, oh, like so by like, natural thing. And it's like it's not. It's not anyways. It's always awkward. But um, I think you're just hyper aware of that when you have a disability.
3: Yeah. And Aki, you've already mentioned you make allowances with your partner. You have a conversation if you're feeling tired or you're having a bad pain day. That's or, that's factored in. Mm-hmm. Are there other things that you do to make sex feasible in your relationship?
1: Obviously orgasms are like such a good pain reliever but when you're in so much pain you don't want to do things that might cause worse pain but you want to get to that end point um, to help with relieving pain. So I think like, um, like mutual masturbation or like doing other things with each other in the way that is the most comfortable for you where you both can get joy
3: OK, let's do some myth-busting, if we can. What are some misconceptions that really piss you off about sex and disability? We're asexual. Comedian Madeline Stewart wants to make it really clear disabled people are having sex.
0: I mean, I guess some of us are probably asexual, just like everyone else. But um, for me, as a person with one arm, can I just say um, common misconception is that I... And we're jumping in the deep end... That I use my stump during sex, if you know what I mean. I'm stumping people. That's what people ask me. They're like, You're putting it in people's butt?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yumi, we're jumping in. <laughs> Robin, what is the misconception that you face? Do you agree, first
2: of all, with Madeline? Oh, I'm, I'm certainly not stumping anyone. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, the biggest one just has to be that, yeah, disabled people don't have sex or can't have sex or why would we be interested in sex because we're so wrapped up in our, in our disabilities and that must be all consuming. So yeah, I guess that, yeah, that's the biggest one. Aki? Yeah, absolutely. The misconceptions about, you know,
1: having sex and having sexual needs and, and wanting to experience pleasure, love, joy and all those things that relate to intimacy, it, it's Conceived to not happen for us or isn't valued or viewed as important. Aki, so
3: you're intersecting with being Asian as well. Does that mean there's a double whammy of stereotypes?
1: yeah the the stereotypes of being a docile asian person and you know petite and everything that you can imagine about the hypersexualization of asian it's it's really weird cuz sometimes i'm treated as a child and talked as talked to as if i can't form my my own opinions and thoughts and people will like talk to me like hello how are you and then on the other side of things i'm extremely hypersexualized as an asian person the people we're talking to today all
3: agree that there is a grotesque sense of entitlement from strangers to pry into the personal lives of disabled people. Aki says that when people see them in the street, their filters suddenly cease working.
1: People just go ahead and ask, can you have sex? You know, can you feel it down there? Can you X, Y and Z? And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You would never ask someone who's non-disabled this, but for some reason you think you're entitled to that. And um, I think... Uh, Maybe Robin and Madeline would agree that that is a common thing that happens to disabled people.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's either like on the streets, like, can I pray for you or can you have sex? It's like very, very very opposite ends of the spectrum, but um, very commonly occurring. Even now when I go out with my fiance, most of the time people think he's my brother or my carer, which is, Mm. you know... (laughs) I'll be walking down the street holding hands with them and I'll be like, oh, your brother's really nice. It's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm.
0: um. I think mostly most personal question people start off with is what happened to you? I think mm. that's often mm-hmm. what people jump in with and then they continue on with like even more invasive questions.
3: So I think we've got that people feel entitled to your time and your personal story which actually they're not entitled to mm. but does that change when you're dating like so, let's say you've you've you're on the apps you've made mm-hmm. a connection with somebody when you're out there trying to find love or trying to find sex or some sort of intimacy when do those
2: kinds of questions come up and when is it okay Robin yeah well i met my now fiance on tinder so <laughs> if it's the first question you're getting asked on an app is, Mm. you know, can you have sex or, you know, Mm. sort of, can I tick this off my bucket list? Then I think for me, I sort of learned as I got older, it was better to kind of be more upfront about those things. I used to, you know, on a first date, I wouldn't take my wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I'd sort of limp along to try and make myself seem a little bit more able and a little bit Mm. more, I guess, um, acceptable to people. But then, you know, I found that you know, the type of people that I was looking to be with would accept me, Mm. you know, the way that I was straight up. So I I sort of, I sort of Mm. stopped doing that. And um, it's worked out pretty well.
3: Madeline?
0: I did a lot of dating apps when I was a bit younger and I had a lot of internalized ableism. This is before Mm. I was part of the disabled community Mm. or even knew that there was a disabled Mm -hmm. community. So I was very apologetic with the way that I presented Mm -hmm. my disability on Tinder Either I – well, at the beginning I didn't mention it because I didn't want to draw in the wrong kind of people, like the Mm -hmm. people who would actively want to Mm -hmm. go out with a disabled girl or maybe saw me as someone that they could take advantage of. Mm -hmm. But then also I would – so what I would do is I'd just turn up to the date and then I'd have one arm and then be really (laughs) weird about it because like did they notice, do they notice, should I say something? If I was doing it now if I was on a mm. Tinder now I'd be like I'm disabled I'm proud get over mm. it. This
3: entitlement that the general public feel they have to ask anything they like is not only annoying but can be downright triggering.
1: When we're just talking about when people ask you like what's wrong with you or what happened to you and um and that question of course you know can get frustrating and annoying, but also it can also be one of the most traumatic questions that you can ask someone, particularly if they've acquired their injury or disability as a result of violence. So, you know, I'm a survivor advocate of intimate partner violence. My spinal injury is a direct result of intimate partner violence.
3: Aki spoke to the Disability Royal Commission about their lived experience with domestic violence. That same Royal Commission presented some very grim statistics. 40% of women with disability in Australia have experienced physical violence, with girls and women with disability twice as likely to experience sexual abuse compared to those
1: without. I share my experiences and stories to help people know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. There are positive and happy and healthy relationships that you can find.
3: Madeline is a survivor of assault, and although she's in a stable, loving and respectful relationship, her experiences have made her vigilant.
0: Sometimes I look at my partner and I'm like, you're, you're safe, right? Like, I always have this little thought in the back of my mind, even though I've been with him for, like, Four years I still have that little thought because like you read everything. Safety is always in the back of my mind.
3: Can we go back in time, Robin? Yep. Yeah. Let's go back to when you were getting sex ed
2: at school. You're a high school kid. <laughs> I went to Um, a Catholic school, so... So so talk (laughs) us through it. What was it like? Uh, So we didn't really have uh, much sex ed anyways. There certainly wasn't any mention of disability and and different Mm. bodies and how Mm. people might do things uh, differently and and what to expect. Um, Madeline, as somebody who was born with their disability,
3: did anybody kind of think, oh, we need to sort of carry this information with disability in mind when it's delivered to Madeline,
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> I went to a school where my disability was completely ignored. Right. Like not even, look, not even inspiration porn. I'm really disappointed I wasn't included <laughs> in any school marketing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so if you could rewrite the curriculum to consider your own lived experiences yeah. um, on sex ed, what would you include? And this this is a question for all. Well, look, my sex ed in school was my teacher
0: showing two flowers and one bee goes into one flower, gets the pollen and puts it into the other flower. And he's like, well, that's that. That was my sex ed. So any information about sex would have been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah
3: just so are you the bee or the flower? I don't know. I think
0: I'm the flower.
3: The second flower. I'm the
0: second flower. <laughs> <laughs> or
2: maybe I'm the
0: first. <laughs>
2: I don't know. Robin, what would your sex ed include? Yeah, again, just sex ed in general would be, <laughs> would be helpful. Um but yeah, just uh, I guess you know that there, there is a push now I know like to 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 be more diverse, but just showing disabled bodies and that and talking about how you know, intimacy and sex isn't just putting a, a penis in a in a vagina. Um, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot more to it or than a bee to that. a flower. Or a that's bee that's to it. a flower. Whatever <laughs> metaphor works. Um, but yeah, and and just, you know, I guess you know, I have heard from several friends now that they've just been completely excluded from those conversations. You know, like, oh, we're, we're doing sex ed now, but your time might be better spent in the library or, you know, so, you know I don't know anyone else that gets to elect out of sex, sex education. Ed. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that, yeah, it just blows my mind. <laughs> like it's not relevant for you yeah.
1: therefore you shouldn't be here because you don't have sex and you never will. Aki, what did your parents teach you about sex? Absolutely Nothing. Did they say anything? Oh, no. I would say all of my friends um, from Asian backgrounds never, ever, ever, ever got the sex talk. They got the don't get pregnant talk, but there was no connection to that. Robin, for a long time,
3: your family thought that you were asexual and even you did as well. Yeah, I think I just, I sort of
2: because, um, you know, there was no representation for disabled people as sort of sexual beings and empowered sexual beings and I had all of these other interests and I was doing sport and all of these other things. I thought, well, maybe it's just, you know, it's just not, um, not for me, which is kind of ironic now because I've spoken a little bit in this space. I've kind of become a, a poster girl for <laughs> disability and sex and I'm promoting sex toys on my Instagram, which is all very confusing <laughs> for my family. <laughs> I thought I was going to be alone.
3: <laughs> so how old were you when things started to change?
2: Oh, you know, as I got into my sort of late teens and I became, you know, uh, invested in the disability community and I was seeing all of these different types of people with disabilities with all different kinds of genders and, and sexual identities, I was like, oh, you know, it's it's not, uh, it is something for us and it is a space that we can take up. And I mm-hmm. guess you just sort of put more effort into learning about yourself then.
3: Now, I did want to talk about um, representation. Madeline, what, what, have you ever seen someone like yourself positively represented as a sexual being.
0: Well, other than Luke Skywalker, no. (laughs) And even then, as soon as he lost his arm, his girlfriend became his sister and then he lived in some (laughs) swamp. It was awful. Um, So... I guess, like no, <laughs> no, never. I, I think uh, the only time I'm ever really seeing sexy disabled people is while I watch the Paralympics. So thank you very much, Robin, for your <laughs> contribution. <laughs> uh, I come to my gun
2: show, any day.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't see it on telly. I don't see it anywhere. I don't. I've even okay. I've even tried to search like sexy one arm porn <laughs> and there's just nothing good. Nothing good. There's nothing. We've got to make our own porn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Arky, yeah. Did you ever see anything that kind of warmed your heart and made you feel good?
1: I think that's really difficult to answer because culturally um, disability is not celebrated. In Asian cultures it's seen as such a shameful thing that you should never talk about and always hide and do your best to present as abled-bodied or non-disabled as possible. With the representation of people with disability. There
0: is such a difference in disability pride and inspiration porn. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure we don't fall into the field of inspiration porn because often companies and even ads and stuff that include disabled people, it's just like a token addition. We need to make sure that when disabled people are represented, that we're represented in a correct way and that people with disability are the ones making the moves and the choices for that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah, I think that's just Absolutely. the importance of having um, people with disabilities, you know, in front of the camera and, and behind the camera, um, informing how those those narratives are portrayed because, you know, we don't we don't need it to all be, you know, sob stories and, and mm-hmm. you know, we don't need to be pitied all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can't just see disabled people at the Paralympics either because, mm-hmm. you know, not, not every disabled person is going to be an athlete or be super fit or super athletic. You know, we're so diverse and we need to see all of it.
1: Yeah, and I think that is quite a double standard with disabled people being expected to be Paralympians, but non disabled people not expected to be Olympians. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just, it's really strange, but it happens often. Yeah. If you're disabled, you have to be a Paralympian because we have to be exceptional yeah in order to be valid
0: yes absolutely exceptional whether that is like top of our game in sport or like top of our game when it comes to activism or Mm -hmm. writing you know and also just because you're disabled doesn't mean you have to
3: be an advocate or anything like that you could just be you let's go then to the question about the best sex you've ever had Madeline do you want to go first
0: sure why not um (laughs) I think, okay, the best sex ever is with my current partner. Of course, we have to say that, don't we? <laughs> um, it was, of course, at my parents' house, which is always a bonus, isn't it? Sneaky sex is the best sex. you got to stay real quiet. And it was lovely. It was in the morning. The sun was coming in. Lovely white linen gorge. It was just really tender and really sweet and really romantic. Aww. And it was just like love you sex it wasn't like <laughs> i'm going to fuck you in the toilet sex it was <laughs> it was gentle it was lovely and we felt more connected afterwards it's like a little soul connection sex you know those ones nice here nice. we go soppy romantic response
2: um robin no, yeah, I agree. I think for me the, the best sex has always been when it's been thought about and, and you know, it's uh, compassionate. My partner went out and bought a bunch of very sexy jock straps because there's, like, no male lingerie <laughs> um, and, you know, made a real special night of it. So I'd have to say, yeah, that, that was probably the best.
1: Archie, uh, can you tell us about your favourite sexual experience? My current partner, I think it was earlier days in our relationship and we kind of went on a sex marathon and did it for like 24 hours. What? I definitely ended it up with a <laughs> UTI afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a lot and it was fun and we just kept going. Um, and we were uni students back then. We didn't have responsibilities. We just wanted to have sex and we did it. And it was um, quite memorable because I remember it 10 years later. Getting
3: together with like-minded people and talking and laughing about sex is one of life's truest joys. But I'm guessing that for a lot of us listening, this is the first time we've been in the room for a conversation that is just between people with disability.
0: I think disabled people are sexy and I think um, a lot of my friends we all with disability all agree that non-disabled people don't know what they're missing because <laughs> we can do stuff... Or, you know, we're more innovative than other partners, is what I'm saying.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Masters of adaptability. (laughs) Yes, and there's nothing
0: unsexy about adaptability. Yeah,
2: we are out there having having sex. Mm-hmm. And actually the, the the largest use of condoms at any event is at the Paralympic Games. Oh so. shut
0: up. Is it really um, sexy there? It is. Are yeah, people it's Shagging event. in the in the Paralympic <laughs> so boarding house. Give we, me details. We
2: are uh, look, unfortunately when I made my Paralympic debut I was in a long-term relationship so it's rather disappointing. But <laughs> you wasted the Paralympic <laughs> I know, What a what a bummer. Um no, but we are out there out there having sex and we are masters of adapting and so we Mm -hmm. can get quite creative and also disabled people spend so much of their lives I think having other people taking ownership of their bodies Mm -hmm. whether that's you know in in the medical system or you know just people telling them who they should be as a disabled person that you know we need to see disabled people being empowered and and being sexual beings and um, we need to you know just see that everywhere because it's the truth.
3: Some key words to take from this episode. Community, connecting, mood pain, (laughs) just some of the things that I've learned bind us and thrill us. And look, the more I learn, the more I believe that connecting with people is what matters more than anything else, whether it be through sex or good old fashioned friendship. Thank you so much, you guys. That was so good. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, cool. everyone. Bye, you Thank you for see- the laughs. I hope I see you in person. <laughs> yes. Let's <Yay>. hang out. <laughs> that would be so fun.
0: <laughs> when either of you are in Sydney, give me a message on Instagram. We'll hang.
1: Let's, oh, do, yes. it. Um, Let's so, do it. Fabulous. Um, Let's do it. We are doing it.
0: Yeah. Give me messages and we'll go out for coffee.
3: Huge thanks to Robin Lambert, Madeline Stewart and Aki Nyo for being so open and fun to have in the studio. The Ladies We Need To Talk team have an episode in the works about sex and neurodiversity. If you have a story to share, would you please email us? Ladies at abc.net.au or call and leave a voicemail with your contact details. 1300 641 22 this podcast was produced on the lands of the Gundungara, Bidjigal and Gadigal peoples. Ladies is mixed by Anne-Marie de produced by Tamar Cranswick. Supervising producer is Alex Lollback and our executive producer is Kyla Slaven. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. Hi, it's Elizabeth Coolas here. If you're looking for another ABC podcast filled with fantastic true stories, I'd love it if you'd try listening to mine. It's called Days Like These. You will find laughs. You will find danger, heartbreak, triumph, love, all the good stuff. These are real Australian stories and everyone comes with a little twist. Just search for Days Like These in your favourite podcast app.